Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Christopher Beekler. Hello, from beautiful Rhode Island. Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm currently in Portland, Oregon. I'm up here for OzCon, so I'm going to be going to that tomorrow. And yeah, I actually scheduled this episode. And the way I came to this idea is I was kind of fiddling around with uh, one of the tools I use to figure out like what blog posts I want to write. So I, I do some keyword research. And one of the things that popped up was what is JavaScript? And I thought that was interesting. And I was like, you know what? I really want to know what the panel thinks. <laughs> so we don't have everybody here and that's fine. You know, I'm happy to have whatever conversation we have. But yeah, I mean, we use JavaScript every day. And so, you know, how do we think about it? What is it? You know, if somebody asked you, what is JavaScript? What would you say? And so I'm curious what, what your answers would be. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we talking about people like non-technical or technical? Let's do both. I mean, this shows for technical people. Yeah, that's But I'm I- curious how you describe it to like, your mom or whatever, you know, <laughs> your dad or people who aren't technical, right? Um, so people that aren't technical, like the thing I always describe what I do is like coming up with a story is what I do, coming up with a way to solve a problem. So like my mom has absolutely no earthly idea what I do. And I think a lot of people think that as developers, we just sit and like, type on our keyboard and it's really not it at all. I think of it like the analogy I make is like an author. So the hard part for authors is not sitting down and typing their story. The hard part is when they're away from the keyboard, usually coming up with the story to tell. And I would say like JavaScript, just like people have different spoken languages, JavaScript is the language that I feel best writing in. Technically speaking, Man, I don't know how I would describe like JavaScript because like most people then I would say like it's a programming language. There's a runtime so that you can write JavaScript on the server, like predominantly for the client. I I don't know, like kind of what I like about JavaScript is the flexibility of it. So I can write in a more functional style if I want, but I'm not uh, restricted to just using that type of style. So yeah, that's, I also describe it as like a hated language (laughs) and maybe, you know, I don't know. A lot of people say that like JavaScript is a very beginner friendly language and yes, while it's beginner friendly in that you can get something up and running easily, I don't really recommend it for people who are just starting learning to program because I do think like learning object orientation is really valuable. And although it's slightly easier now with JavaScript, I still think like under the hood, the model is very different than other languages. And so I still don't think it's the best language to start writing. And especially like, you know, you can't get too far until you have to understand the event loop. And, you know, because JavaScript is asynchronous, And if you're doing UI development, like that's just the nature of UI development. Like a user clicks on a button and, you know, something asynchronous will happen. So all that to say, what do I like? I don't know. I feel like JavaScript is more like an intermediate level language than a beginner language. Interesting. I think Amy's uh, 
author comparison is a little more elegant than what I usually tell people uh, when when people are asking, you know, what what is it I do, particularly non-technical people, which is not just my mom, but the vast majority of my family. I tend to explain it as, you know, when you're building a web page, there are three things you need really for construction. You have HTML, which gives you the structure. You have CSS, which makes things pretty. And you have JavaScript, which makes things do stuff. I think that's a gross oversimplification, obviously, but uh, it helps people understand like, okay, you know, HTML puts the button there, CSS makes the button blue, and JavaScript makes something happen when you click on the button. And um, that's a pretty good sort of top level, you know, idea of what JavaScript is doing. As Amy mentioned, you get into the event loop very quickly in that particular uh, uh, description. But for me, uh, JavaScript is... It's a programming language. It's a programming language specifically for the web. And it's if you are speaking to technical people, you can mention that it's not a compiled programming language, although build tools are getting closer and closer to making it sort of a compiled programming language. I agree wholeheartedly with Amy that the like, oh, it's it's an easy language to pick up or it's a good beginner language idea is maybe a little facile. It's really easy to get Hello World up and running in JavaScript. It's really easy to get some basic concepts like how variables work and that kind of thing. And you don't have to worry about static typing and all that kind of stuff early on, uh, which, you know, makes it a little easier if you're concatenating strings and numbers. You just do it and it just works and that's great. As you start to work with it, you have to master some some fundamental programming concepts relatively quickly or it becomes really a nightmare to work with. And, you know, as Amy mentioned also, there's a lot happening under the hood. There's the event loop. There's the differences between functional and object-oriented programming. There's the fact that JavaScript's object orientation is different than a lot of other languages' object orientation. <laughs> there's the whole yeah. thing where like all of your types that step strings and, and ints are technically objects, including arrays, which is really confusing at times. There's the prototype chain, just tons and tons of stuff to, to be aware of many of which are what make are the features that make JavaScript great, in my opinion. There, there's a ton of stuff you can do with it. I love prototypal inheritance. I love a lot of the a lot of the way it works. I even like the the weekly typed variables. I think that there's some real use there and some real value there. And if you want strong typing, you can use TypeScript, you can use Flow, you know, et cetera. But I think it's a trap to just say, oh yeah, it's the easy programming language. Yeah, the way Christopher explained it is more or less how I approach it, right? Where I, yeah, I break it down the same way, you know. HTML is the the structure, the CSS is the decoration, and the the JavaScript is, you know, what makes things happen. So I, I kind of explain it like a car, right? Where the the HTML is the frame, the CSS is the decor, you know, the, and the paint, and then the, and maybe a little bit of the shape. And then uh, the JavaScript is the engine. So it, it, you know, you know, the engine, the batteries and the actuators and the windows and all that stuff. Right. So, yep. but yeah, you know, and, and a lot of people kind of get it right. So it's, it's the thing that lets you roll the windows up and down. It's the thing that makes the car move forward. But a lot of the rest of the structural and visible parts of the car that you see on the interior or exterior, that's all HTML and CSS. So, yeah, but then I get into, okay, but you use JavaScript in all these other places. You know, you can, you can build mobile apps with it now. You can, you know, IoT, 
there's TensorFlow JS, you can do AI with it. And so, yeah. so it kind of goes beyond just the, the web, but yeah, kind of the traditional approach to JavaScript is the web. And, and I think when I talk about JavaScript too, then I start thinking about, okay, well, when I talk about JavaScript, I also mean like all the stuff I get out of NPM mm-hmm. and the community and the, you know, TC39. And anyway, it's, it's just interesting because there are a lot of other aspects to JavaScript that aren't necessarily the language. But yet at the same time, JavaScript has this funky, almost multi-paradigm setup where you have first-class functions, which kind of indicate a functional language, but you also can do some object-oriented things with it, right? And you have just these very simple objects, you know, but they're prototypal instead of, you know, kind of the traditional classical inheritance model, you know? And and so, yeah, it, it kind of... A lot of times I find myself comparing it to other languages and explaining why these features are the same or different as other languages. And so it's, anyway, it's, it's this interesting thing. And I, I think there are a lot of facets to it. And I kind of like to talk about like all the places JavaScript is and can be used in another episode. In fact, I scheduled that for next week when we record. But I mean, how much of what JavaScript is the language and how much of it is uh, sort of the roadmap from TC39 or ES6 and how much of it is unity and how much is the ecosystem. I mean, can you put weights on, on these different parts or, you know, can you describe it in terms of these other aspects without really talking about the programs or they all, the way they relate kind of all intermingled in a way that you have to talk about all of it or none of it? I think you very quickly have to start talking about a lot of the different layers and a lot of the different aspects of JavaScript. I think. Early on, it's easy to say it's a programming language for web pages. That clearly was true when it was invented. But one of the things I think is the most interesting about JavaScript is that we've been able to watch its evolution in real time almost, uh, in part because browsers have been able to do stuff with it that's not in the spec all the time, which has its pros and cons, certainly. But it's been something that was invented in a relatively short period of time and then has been expanded upon and expanded upon and expanded upon. And it's been interesting to watch for me the fact that standardization and the way new JavaScript features are developed feels a lot less chaotic to me now than it did in the early era and particularly when I got involved, which was more in the jQuery era, where, I mean, the whole part of the whole reason jQuery existed was to help deal with the fact that browsers were parsing different stuff in JavaScript completely differently. So I think you have to be aware that there is a large, extremely large and very active community happening with JavaScript, that there's a lot of development happening on the language. And that in a lot of cases, if there are aspects of the language that don't make sense to you or that seem incomplete, that may well be the case. They may well be incomplete. It may well still be uh, stuff that's being worked on, stuff that's being considered. There have also been decisions made that make more sense for a dynamic non-compiled language that is being accessed via a web page, usually very quickly. It requires a faster download. Uh, you're not downloading an entire application and everything else. There are trade-offs you have to make and there may be reasons why it doesn't behave like certain other structured programming languages because you're not compiling binary applications with javascript so i think 
I think, yeah, it, once you get a little bit past discussing the nature of the language and sort of here's here's what it is, here's how it makes web pages go, you have to start talking about the community aspects. You have to start talking about things like like GitHub as an example of just, you know, there so much of JavaScript development and so much of being involved working on the web in general means that you're spending time in community hubs in one way or the other. You might be on Stack Overflow looking up answers or code to copy and paste or whatever. You might be on GitHub contributing to open source. The whole open source concept is not new to JavaScript, but it's certainly been widely embraced by the JavaScript community. There's a tremendous amount of stuff happening around JavaScript. I realize that's, as you said, it's uh, supposed to be the topic for next week, so I don't want to get too in-depth on it, but... I think it's hard to just say, oh, it's a, yeah, it's how you program for the web without getting a little deeper than that. The other thing is, you know, JavaScript has its challenges in that, like, it always has to be backwards compatible, which other languages don't necessarily face that. Yes. Yeah, that's, it's interesting too, because we do talk about like ECMAScript version five, version six, you know, and then we're adding all of these enhancements to get to version you know, ES6 or ES7 or ES20, whatever, 19 now or whatever. And it's, you know, it, yeah, it has to play nice, but at the same time, do we ever deprecate features in JavaScript? Do we get rid of them? If it happens, it's rare. Yeah. Because I'm trying to think of a breaking change that they put into JavaScript and I can't. This was like, I mean, even you go back, what was it like the, the schmoosh thing that happened last year where because of like legacy code and they needed to, they didn't want to break that. And a lot of people were using, I'd have to link to the article. I don't remember the exact detail. I think it was MooTools, which is yeah. a super used library anymore, but it's still, there's still enough legacy stuff out there that they couldn't introduce a new function with that particular yeah. name because it would break too much code. Yeah. Because of the way that MooTools was like overriding something. Right. So yeah. And it's just most languages don't have to deal with that because the whole, like you can't break the web. Which is, a, I think it's a strength. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. You know, for the most part, like the fact that you can call up a, a page either still existing and still being served from 1996 or uh, maybe 98 when JavaScript was a little more embraced or hit, you know, web.archive.org and bring up something from 96. And mostly that stuff still all works is kind of amazing, uh, given the, the speed of progress and the rate of change on the web in general over the last 20 years. Yeah, and so speaking of that too, I think JavaScript also presents a challenge in that for the most part, if you're writing JavaScript, um, you're probably also writing, you know, if you're, say, Say you're doing like full stack JavaScript, so you're probably also writing it on the front end. And if you're writing it on the front end, that also means you probably are touching CSS and HTML too. And learning, you know, the way that we think about CSS is very, very, very different than the way we think about JavaScript. And so if you're a JavaScript developer, you have those types of things to consider, whereas I think if you're in other languages, um, you typically like you don't touch CSS. Yeah, I, I don't know any non-web programmers who interact as much with design, user interface, and user experience as JavaScript developers tend to. That doesn't mean there aren't any out there, but it's an awful lot of the coders that I knew 
back in the day who were working in C++, C Sharp, even Rails, Ruby and everything, frequently you ended up with programmers who just were like, I don't, I don't touch anything visual at all. I, I used uh, to be that guy. Yep. <laughs> um, and I used to be the, oh, I have to do JavaScript again guy. Right? <laughs> so when you say that, so I had a conversation a little bit with somebody yesterday. I feel like there's so many people like, oh, JavaScript is stupid, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, how much of people saying that is coming from a place of fear and they don't want to admit it? Oh, 100%. Thank you. <laughs> I, I I don't know about a hundred percent, but I'd say it's a very high percent yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a a very common thing. I think one of the legit frustrations and criticisms that I've heard developers who coming out of other languages make is that JavaScript doesn't do some of the stuff. One of the things that a, a friend of mine frequently comments on when I'll mention new JavaScript tech or whatever is he'll he'll talk about like, oh, all right, so you guys are at a point where you're solving a problem that. C++ had to solve like in the 80s. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's him being a little bit glib, but I think, yes, there's nothing wrong with that. It's as JavaScript applications become more complex and we're doing more with it, we're going to run into new situations, new problems that need solving, all that kind of thing that the language has to evolve, the approach to the language has to evolve. That's just a part of JavaScript. I think the fact that all this is happening now is a good thing, but I think it contributes to that stigma that developers from other other more established languages have of like, oh, it's either the language doesn't know what it's doing, which I don't agree with, but I can understand why they feel that way, or it, the language isn't ready, which I also don't agree with, but I can understand why they feel that way. But I think an awful lot of it is just, oh my God, there's so much to learn and it's constantly changing and it's intimidating. Well, and a lot of the things that you're talking about there, where it's, it doesn't do what I expect, is essentially what it boils down to. At least for me, it was, oh, well, look, JavaScript isn't Ruby. <laughs> and it's like, no kidding. Right. It's its own programming language. And it, you know, it has its own engines behind it, you know, whether it's uh, V8 or, or Core, which was Microsoft's, or I'm trying to remember all the different ones, or even just Node.js, which runs V8. Sort of. Right. There's a new um, one, I think, that's either just came out or is coming out, but I can't remember the name of it right now. Yeah, my or Facebook's coming out with one that they're going to put on Android called Hermes. Right. You know, they talked about that one at Chain React. I was at Chain React last week that was also here in Portland. But yeah, so that's what a lot of it boils down to is that JavaScript is not Ruby, it's not C Sharp, it's not um, whatever backend system you're using, it's not Java. And so... It's not going to do the same thing that you would expect if you were writing it in Ruby or C Sharp or Java. And, and so people got frustrated because, you know, there was a natural way that you expected things to go in your backend language and it didn't always play that way nicely in your front end language. But I'm yep. seeing a lot of stuff written now that has a JavaScript backend along with a front end. And even then, sometimes you still run into stuff that doesn't doesn't do the same thing and it's the same language. And that's, that's down to the engine and the ecosystem that you're running in. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, as I've said before, it's, it's a still evolving language. I don't know if it's yeah. the most evolving language uh, presently. There are probably newer, younger languages that are still undergoing big evolutions and big additions. But I still feel like JavaScript as a core technology, not even including, you know, the sort of layers on top of it, like NPM modules and that kind of thing, but just the actual core JavaScript is still 
it's still changing and still growing pretty rapidly. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's also interesting too, just you know, going back to the idea of the engines, right? Is how many of the features of uh, you know future JavaScript, be it uh, you know ES twenty seventeen or ES twenty eighteen or whatever, how many of those features are actually implemented in the browsers? Or how many of them you you know use something like TypeScript, which you know implement some of the experimental standards, and then you know you wind up having it transpiled to something, and that's a whole other part of the ecosystem is transpiled languages. I mean, th- th- there's a lot to explore. There really is, and it it can be, I think, awfully intimidating for new users coming in. And again, it speaks to that, like I said earlier, it's it's super easy to get Hello World running in JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the first tutorials I wrote for JavaScript way back in 2014, which I've kept updated ever since because it still gets a ton of traffic, was just a introduction to um, Node.js, MongoDB for existing front-end developers. And one of the things that sort of has come out of that is that you get an awful lot of tutorials out there that teach you how to do a quick hello world or the hello world of applications, the to-do list. And then there's the next step up from that is these huge complex tutorials that are very confusing and often bring in things like React or just assume you know how NPM works and how to get Node installed and everything else. And so I went with just a really, really step-by-step, here's what Node is, here's how you go get Node, here's, okay, that comes with NPM, what is NPM, how does it work, how do you install a package? It's just a single tutorial, and it's very long, but it's very detailed, and I think that's been, I know, because of feedback, that that's been helpful to a lot of people, and I think it's it speaks, again, to this ecosystem can get big. There's a lot of stuff to be aware of. There's huge chunks of it, even as somebody who works in it every single day and has been doing so for over a decade that I don't know. I like, I've never touched Vue.js and I'm sure it would be interesting and fun to experiment with, but I haven't had the time with everything else that I'm working on. You know, it's just, I know it's out there. I know basically what it is, but I've never actually worked with it. You know, it's interesting just hearing you talk through a lot of this stuff. It, it almost sounds like you're saying it's simple to get started with and then it gets complicated in a hurry. I mean, is, I, there, I think so. is there a good middle ground? Is there a good way to level up from beginner to intermediate, somewhere in the middle? So that's a really interesting question. And I wish, again, I wish Chris Ferdinandi was here because he would be very insistent that vanilla JS training is is the way to do that. I think there's some strong points to be made there. The reason I'm bringing that up is because I think the middle ground used to be jQuery. That's how I really went from barely using JavaScript I for any a whole bunch of people groaning. <laughs> Yeah, right. No, and I'm much people groaning at you. <laughs> I am. I am not suggesting that everybody jump to jQuery at this point in time. Just that that's that was a very common stepping stone for people, where you went from, yeah. okay, I've I've defined a few variables and I know how to like document write something. What do I do next? One of the most common things I think is, all right, I have a button. I want something to happen when I click on that button, or I have a, a little div over here and I want to dynamically put content into it. And those were two things that jQuery made very, very easy. Uh, Same deal with MooTools and Prototype and a few of the other uh, earlier frameworks. And that for me was, that was the stepping stone, was that I went from barely touching JavaScript to doing a lot of 
event catching and you know DHTML, mostly using jQuery. And then from there, graduated to the point that everybody, I think, gets to with jQuery where you're like, this is not enough for the complexity of the stuff that I'm working on. Uh, and then I, you know, you move to something like, I, for me, it was Angular 1 and then React. For somebody else, it might be Vue or Backbone or, you know, there's a bunch of different potential options there. But I'm not sure what that stepping stone is now because, like I said, I really don't recommend everybody jump into jQuery in 2019. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, I mean, I kind of went through the same process, right? I mean, these days I kind of play with all of it, with Angular, with React, and with Vue, just depending on who I'm talking to and, and what yep. motivation I have. But it's mostly content-driven for me. It's not, oh, I need this feature on this, you know, on this app that I'm working on. Right. The thing that's interesting, though, is that, yeah, I mean, coming up through jQuery, it gave you an I It really helped you understand the DOM and how that works. And then when you get into React or Angular or Vue, even if you don't understand concepts like shadow DOMs and, you know, the way that it processes updates and events and things like that, you still kind of have an idea of what it's doing. And... I wonder if jQuery might be the right learning tool with the caveat that we just, you know, there are better ways to do the apps these days, I guess, or maybe just doing something with a super duper simple um, React without all of the other trappings on it or something like that. I mean, I, I, I like I would, the, I like where you were going there. I mean, I would say you don't even need, you don't need any library. You can just use, what is native in JavaScript to figure out how to click a button. And I would honestly... Document, find element by ID. Yeah, I would honestly start with that because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what... Well, I mean, at the end of the day, like, you have to understand, in my opinion, what's happening at a lower level. Like, you have to understand how the DOM, like in order to understand JavaScript, which we didn't even talk about that, but like you have to understand how the DOM works and um, just clicking on a button is going to open up all of these things we talked about where you're going to have to have a rough idea of CSS. You're going to have to have a rough idea of HTML, rough idea of the DOM that gets you into a little bit of the event loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a simple thing like that will open the door to all those concepts that are part of JavaScript. I think what you're saying is is kind of the right answer, just in the sense that, I mean, jQuery essentially paved over all of the browser issues that you had between browsers and made DOM manipulation consistent. Right. And nowadays, most browsers are standards compliant on a lot of the stuff that Amy mentioned. And so it probably is the right way to go. Yeah, you can just do everything with vanilla that you used to, for the most part, that you used to need jQuery for. And I think that that is definitely the way to go. And I think yeah. I think that's a good way to sort of continue progressing and leveling up is, you know, it comes back to, I have a web page, I made it look good, now I want to make it do things. And, you know, once you get comfortable with a few button clicks, then you start to get more invested in, okay, what else can I do here? Sometimes, and this is a this is a whole other discussion, more than you really need to be doing with JavaScript. But I think in general, you know, people like that dynamic, interactive quality that you can bring to a web page using JavaScript, and it's a real that's a really good way to move from doing simple demos on you know Codecademy or whatever to actually 
producing a website of your own that uses JavaScript to do something specific. And then from there, you might move into learning about what an API is and how to connect to an API and how to retrieve data from it. And then, okay, now you need JavaScript to manipulate that data. That's another area where for me, it was like, all right, I've learned how to go out and get JSON from somewhere, but what do I do with this JSON? So I had to start learning all the various array methods and object methods and how to parse the data and do stuff with it. This Man, you know, the more we talk about it, it's just, there's just so much stuff to learn, but I think you can, you can learn it incrementally, mostly through, and this is something I love about the web in general. It's probably true with other programming languages, but you can learn it mostly just by building stuff, by coming up with an idea and saying, Hey, I want to, I want to fill this box with data that I got from a third party server and then figuring out the steps you need to, to make that happen most of which can be done with vanilla if you want to. Yep. Once you understand what's going on there, then you can graduate to, oh, there are these really convenient ways of doing this with Vue or React, right. or you can continue doing it with vanilla or you know whatever works for you. And that, right. that's really the great thing with JavaScript too, is that it's so versatile that you can kind of approach it from a lot of different directions and really make it go where you want it to. Every time I've gotten involved in debates about you know, which tech stack to use or which framework to use. I'm pretty agnostic about all of them. Uh, I don't have hyper strong opinions because I look at it and I'm like, there are enterprise level sites with tens of millions of visitors that run on React, that run on Angular, that run on Vanilla. That re- So you can very clearly solve those problems with any approach that you want to take. It's just a matter of figuring out the approach that you happen to like. You know, I really like working with React and have ended up, therefore, pursuing projects and clients who work with React. So I mostly work with React. But that doesn't mean that I actually inherently think it's superior to Angular or some other solutions. It's what I got to know and it's what I like. So that makes it easy for me to rapidly spin up stuff in it. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you were going to go and talk to somebody now about what is JavaScript, Let's say it's somebody that's interested in becoming a programmer. They have some basic technical knowledge. Have we changed your answer at all? Is there a way that you can summarize what we've talked about here in a minute or two? Hmm. I think I'd probably I'd probably start with my initial... Well, if it was somebody who's interested in becoming a programmer, they may already understand the basic concept of uh, you know structure, design, and, and function. I probably would stick... With that to start, though, just to, to be sure, since you can sum it up very quickly that way. And then I would, I think instead of dictating, okay, here's what you need to know about JavaScript, I might ask what they're trying to do with JavaScript, why they want to learn to code. The answer might be to get a job, which is a perfectly acceptable reason to want to learn. But even that informs where you go from there. If you're learning JavaScript to get hired, it's a different starting point than if you're learning JavaScript because you want to contribute to the standards board and help shape the future of the language. You may end up doing both in the long run, but different starting points for sure. This is not really yeah. answering your question though, Chuck, sorry. I think you brought up an interesting point. It's kind of a different take on what Amy started with, where you know, it's what story do you want to tell? And then you know, how is JavaScript the medium by which you tell it? You know, yep. so it, it could be, the story could be the, the story arc of your career. 
or it could be the story arc of a problem that you're trying to solve for people, or it could be the story arc of something completely different. Yep. I think that's so then JavaScript to you is something different, right? Because then it's uh, a means of exploring technology or it's a means for advancing the way that we communicate about code or it's a means for solving a particular problem or creating the next social media platform or whatever. Right. Right. JavaScript in the end, I think, is a tool, one tool of many in your toolbox for creating experiences either for yourself or for other people. Uh, I would say, you know, if you're working on a public facing website, then predominantly for other people. It helps you manipulate those experiences and make sure you're delivering what the people coming to your website or application or, you know, phone app or whatever are expecting and looking for. Just about everybody who's going to a website or going to or loading up an app on their phone is in some way looking to solve a problem, whether the problem is, you know, what am I going to order for dinner or I don't understand enough about this topic and I want to read articles on it or, you know, infinite number of day-to-day, this is a problem I'm looking to solve scenarios. So JavaScript is a, is a tool to help you solve those problems for people, including yourself. So what is the story you want to tell then, Christopher, with JavaScript? Hmm. I'd like to hear this answer from Amy too. So if she has a ready answer, that'd be cool. I'm thinking too right now. It's a nebulous question. It's a good question. Uh, it just takes a little bit, to, I think, to form a um, sort of a coherent yeah. answer there. For me, the, the thing that I'm looking for is really just to make a difference for people. Now I'm much more focused on people's careers and capabilities and things like that, you know, because I'm focused on the podcasts. And so, you know, there's some technical solution to some things that I'm creating with it, mm-hmm. but mostly I want to understand it so that I can help other people understand it. I guess the story for me is basically, you know, I chose JavaScript because I thought it was because of the reasons. Now, this is just my opinion. I don't want to start any like wars, but in my opinion, like I was saying earlier, I feel like JavaScript can be slightly more challenging. And so I guess the story for me is like I chose that language because I always go after a challenge. And so... I don't want people to shy away from it because, you know, maybe other languages are perceived as like more, you know, friendly to learn. Um, Like if ultimately, if you feel like you want to write JavaScript, then maybe the road's going to take slightly longer, but still go for it. (laughs) I think for me, what it comes down to is that I love the internet and the web specifically. I think it's one of the great inventions of mankind. Obviously, you can do terrible things with it, but that's true of many of mankind's great inventions. JavaScript was a way for me to build the stuff on the internet that I loved. Uh, and that that helps other people. Uh, I spend a lot of my time building tutorials on Brace that help other people. But it also is, it's super fun for me, I, there's there's nothing for me quite like the experience of building a web page and having everything come together. That's been true since before I even started learning JavaScript. I, I've always really enjoyed the process of starting from a bare bones hypertext document that looks like a, a Microsoft Word document, more or less, and having that 
click together as you add CSS and add more HTML and everything else into this designed, hopefully artfully presented piece of content. JavaScript for me is another stepping stone on that where it's, uh, I get to build something cool. And almost every single day that I worked with JavaScript, I get to do something where when it works, you get that rush of like, oh, cool. This is something I built and it's doing what I wanted it to do. And it, that's awesome. And I think one of the things I love about JavaScript is that A, it can deliver that rush frequently and quickly. There aren't a lot of, you know, oh, I have to wait 40 minutes for this to build to see whether it worked or not moments. And um, it also delivers plenty of the opposite where you're like, I'm an idiot, why isn't this working? But you have to have those experiences in order to have the like, aha, it worked, I'm a genius kind of moments as well. That's my story with JavaScript is that I... I love working on the web. I love making web pages. I've been doing it for over 20 years and I'm still not tired of it. And JavaScript has allowed me to make bigger, better, more complex, more interesting, and hopefully more useful web pages for myself and for other people. Cool. I like it. I think it's interesting too that we all, you know, we can talk about the same kinds of things. We can come at it from the same points of view in a lot of ways, but at the end of the day, our stories are all a little bit different. And I think a lot of our listeners are probably in the same boat. And I'd love to just have people uh, in the comments on this episode, just come in and share, you know, what, what's, what's your JavaScript story, right? What, what is, what is it that you're trying to do or create or tell or become with JavaScript? Yeah. How, how do you see JavaScript? How do you, how do you wrap your head around what it is and what you're doing with it? I'd, I would love to read that too. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Hey folks, I'm super excited to be meeting up with you at RxJS Live. Now, if you're wondering what RxJS Live is, you ought to check it out. It's at rxjs.live. RxJS is the observable library that is changing the way people write asynchronous code. If you're using it, you know what I'm talking about. And if not, you really should try it. Of course, now it has its own conference and I'm going because I love hearing from geniuses like Ben Lesh from the core team Jay Phelps, author of Redux Observable, and one of my JS heroes, Matt Podwysocki. If you're one of those people who keeps asking me, how do I stay current? This is the conference for you about JavaScript. A lot of modern languages and libraries are built on observables. Plus, using them is like discovering power tools after building a ton of stuff by hand. This is the Don't Miss event. Register at rxjs.live and then come find me at the conference and say hello. Amy, do you have some picks for us? Oh, man. Ah. <laughs> this is really fast. Let me go with a music pick, what I've been listening to lately. I was doing the same thing, so this might be a music-heavy... Uh... <laughs> nice. So I usually really like instrumental stuff, and maybe this episode will come out closer to fall when Halloween comes around. So there's this band called This Patch of Sky, and I am like obsessed with them lately. It's all instrumental from what I've heard so far, and it's just kind of like very eerie music. So I'm going to go with that. I like it a lot. <laughs> Nice. Christopher, go ahead. What are your picks? All right. So uh, my musical pick is the new album from Silver Sun Pickups. Uh, they're an LA-based sort of alt-rock band. Uh, they get a lot of comparisons to Smashing Pumpkins, although I, I think that's sort of accurate, but not entirely accurate. Anyway, I've managed to see them in concert five times in five different cities, including one on a different continent. Not because I'm like following the band around, but just because they've randomly been playing at times in places where it's been convenient for me to see them. I really like their, their work. They're sort of a combination of indie rock and electro synth pop. So 
if that sounds at all compelling, the new album is Widow's Weeds. I'm enjoying it. It's very catchy right from the start. It's not one of those albums you have to listen to 15 times before it starts to click for you. It's it's poppy enough that it gets going right away. And the other thing I'll recommend, the other thing I'll pick is also music-oriented. He's a YouTube artist. His name is Andrew Huang, H-U-A-N-G. He has been on YouTube for years doing videos about producing, about making music. He is completely genre non-specific. He can make hard rock music. He can make rap. He can make electronica, dance music, modular synth. He's into all this stuff. I think he's really fun to watch. And I learn a ton from his videos. And one of the things I like the best is that he regularly does videos where he gets a single sample and then he gets a bunch of different producers to build songs out of that one sample. He put one out, I think, just last week. That Although by the time this airs, it'll be a while ago. It's just, I love that kind of stuff. I love seeing what different artists do with the same source material. So if that sounds like your bag, check him out. Like I said, Andrew, spelled like Andrew Huang, H-U-A-N-G. You can find him on YouTube. Nice. Very cool. I am going to go in a different direction, but it's still in the entertainment area, I guess. So on the way out here and, uh, you know, in other ways, uh, I've been getting more and more involved in uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And now this is very much a Joe Eanes influence on me. In fact, I've been going over to Joe's house and playing D&D with he and Aaron Frost and a bunch of other folks. But yeah, I've been listening to a podcast lately called The Dungeon Cast. And uh, they they just kind of pick a topic out of the Dungeons and Dragons lore or you know, how to be a dungeon master or things like that. And they cover it. And it's been pretty fun to listen to. Um, they've covered a bunch of the races so far. They've covered a bunch of the classes. And anyway, it, it's pretty fun. Joe and I are starting our own D&D podcast. I think you mentioned that a few weeks ago on Adventures in Angular. But uh, yeah, we're getting that rolling. And yeah, I've been having a good time uh, just diving into that. So the Dungeon Cast. And then I'm also going to pick as part of the deal... I found a set of dice. It's a hundred dice for like twenty dollars, you know. And so it comes with a mix of you know d20s, d10s, d100s, d8s, d6s, and d4s. Anyway, I'm going to start playing with my kids and start uh, being a DM for them. So awesome! It's going to be a ton of fun. So I'm, I'm enjoying that. On our first episode of our Dungeons and Dragons podcast, which we still haven't named. We need to do that soon because we're getting close to being able to release the episodes. Ariel and Joe, where I should start, and they recommended a book. So I'm going to pick it, and then I'm going to pick a few other books for D&D that you probably ought to have around just to run the campaigns. But they told me to get uh, Tales from the Awning Portal. And so I picked that up, and I actually read it on the airplane out here. I read part of the first campaign on the on, on the way out here. And uh, basically, it just goes into some of the most popular campaigns that they've had. But they're all kind of tailored to characters at different levels. And so you can kind of walk through each one as your players level up their characters. And so that should be pretty fun. I think my kids will enjoy that. And then the other books you should probably have are the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster Manual. So just throwing those out there as well. And uh, yeah. That's pretty much it. I'm planning on writing a series of blog posts about some of the stuff we talked about, some of the other things that I'm kind of thinking about as far as what is JavaScript. 
So keep an eye out for that on the devchat.tv blog. And that'll just be at devchat.tv slash blog. And yeah, that, that's pretty much it. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks, you guys, for uh, coming and talking through this. I think it was a really interesting discussion. I'm looking forward to having it continue in the comments. And uh, we'll have another episode. We're putting two out in every week now. So I can't just say, hey, we'll be back next week because we'll probably be back in a couple days. So Awesome. Thanks for having me. Bye. All right. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.